Hi, and welcome to the Girlfriend God. My name is Kelly, and I'll be your host. Welcome to the Girlfriend God. Today we have Dr. Carla Ionescu back in the hot seat. Carla's been on our show before. And if you want to read about all of her accolades and accomplishments and the kind of stuff that she does, um, all of that is in the description for the podcast. So Carla, welcome. Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me again. I feel like our talk should be labeled something like coffee talks in the morning. Right, know? right. I, I actually am drinking coffee, as a matter same, of fact. Same. <laughs> drinking coffee and having the occasional nibble of a pretzel that I keep mm. in my in my office. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so today we're going to talk about um, the hypogeum and possibly the Chevaux Cave in the south of France, if we mm-hmm. have time for that. But if not, we can make that another episode. And I I wanted to talk about the hypogeum. So I started, um, or no, that was about the Chevaux cave. Never mind. The documentary that I'm watching is the Werner Herzog documentary, Cave of Dreams. And that's about uh, the Chevaux cave. Have you ever seen it? Really? No, I've never seen it. It's really good. It's really good. Oh, I'm going to add that. Maybe I'll watch that this afternoon. It's called Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Is it a series or one long it's one long documentary. Yeah. Um, so the hypogeum, I guess, both for my benefit and the benefit of, you know, the three listeners that I have, um, <laughs> where, where exactly, I'm not one of my, so my two worst subjects in school and in Trivial Pursuit are math and ge- um, geography. So okay. where is the hypogeum? It's in Malta. Which is uh, where in the world? Where in uh, the world is Malta? <laughs> it's, uh, I know it's uh, near Greece. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but I don't remember the countries that actually literally surround it, but it's a okay. small island in like the southern part of, or I don't know, I don't know. It's in, you know, close to Greece and close to Sicily. So it's somewhere there. I was going to say the southern part of Western Europe. Maybe that's correct. Uh, A geography (laughs) person is going to be like, Carla, what are you doing? Uh, (laughs) It's a hop skip away from Sicily. And it's also quite close to Greece as well. So it's right there in that area. And you said, and you've been there, right? I have, yes. Did you go as a tourist or as a researcher? Uh, Both. Both. I mean, I I sometimes go as a researcher and end up being a tourist. or vice versa right yeah exactly exactly so so as both but I spent two weeks in Malta um yeah it's a beautiful island uh in the sense that it has like a very unique architecture Mm -hmm. I didn't spend too much time on the beaches although people say they were they were really wonderful um I did a lot of like temple work and museum work and run 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 um right. I did go to uh they have like a blue lagoon and like some other lagoons out because they're an island obviously surrounded by other rock formations and that was real so that was like a touristy thing to do and it was really really pretty um yeah 
Yeah, it was real. I would recommend visiting Malta at least once in someone's life. Right. For sure. For sure. So, um, because its technical name is the hypogeum, is the hypogeum of Hal Safiani. Yes. Is that right? Did I, am I saying that right? You know, I yes. butcher all these that's okay. geographical that's okay. terms. Yes. Yes. Because yes. hypogeum of itself just means what? A, like a chamber or an underground. Yes. That's right. That's right. Whatever. So my understanding is that some of these names in Malta have like an Arabic history. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not an expert in Maltese history, like early Neolithic history of temples, maybe a bit more, but the Maltese history. So Malta is like a combination of sort of Arabic mm -hmm. culture and European culture. Um, and Maltese is like, you know, is close to maybe Italian and Portuguese, but also has uses some Arabic words. That's my mm -hmm. understanding. Okay. Um, some people say maybe there's a bit of Persian in there. I'm not 100% sure. So I think that's why a lot of these names have the hell something in them. So you see that kind of history to it. Right, right. Um, but the hypogeum itself, I mean, is so ancient that it's in the Neolithic era. Like, right. it's before any of these cultures identify themselves, you know, it's right. just so, so ancient. And it's, yeah. and it's enormous, right? Or is it? We're told that it's five feet, uh, sorry, five floors into the earth. You can only visit two floors. Right. Um, and um, they're very, very, so you can only go five people at a time. Mm -hmm. um, and so per day they do, I think you're in there for a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And uh, so they only allow like 20 people per day. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine the lineup to get in so like if you want to go to malta next year you want to book the hypogeum from now right 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 but because i went during the pandemic there was nobody there there's nobody there i did have a couple of other people with me and i think there was three of us but i mean that's right, nothing, right. nothing um and so um so they're but they're very so they, they don't allow a lot of people to come in because like our bodies and breathing and like perspiration, even right. just natural sort of um, affects the inner workings and affects the, there's drawings on the walls. Right. Um, and so, and then, so they even have like a very, um, they have a steel, a stainless steel path. So with a look like with kind of like a sidebar, mm -hmm. you do not come off this path you do not touch any like there's so 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 there's a security guard that comes in with you every time right. um they're very very and the path takes you a little bit throughout and takes you back and that's all you can do you can't so um you can see the holes kind of like as they're digging down below mm -hmm. i think they found five floors it might be deeper i'm not sure right yeah i read that that they really don't know no how deep it goes yeah so the whole thing is I assume started as like a, a natural, it's a natural stone structure as a result of weather and water. And I, so I don't, I don't think that they know how it started because it's not a cave. So it's in the middle of the city. Mm. I almost didn't find it. Uh, there is a small building, small square building on top of the site. Right. And then it's surrounded by houses. In fact, right. how they found it was by that's, accident. That's what right? I was just going to say. That's what I read. Yeah. 
So usually you expect like a cave entrance and mm -hmm. then it kind of descends into this. But this is not in a mountainous area. This is nothing. So literally they, let's say 5,000 years ago, they dug right into the ground, flat ground, and they right. dug right into the ground. And then they just stepped down and they kept digging and then they stepped down. So it looks like it's man-made or human-made. Right. You know, it's, it's so there's nothing natural that kind of seems to explain why they chose this site. Right. right. Yeah. So I read about, uh, so one of its features, I guess, is, um, what do they call it? Uh, a speaking chamber where they have the, it's a large cistern and uh, this website described it as a, a holy of holies surrounded by embryonic chambers yep. where if you whisper into the wall, yep. it reverberates. And yep. Yep. Like it's how, did, how did they know that? How did they know it's fascinating. that would work? It's fascinating. There's... So you're not, you're not allowed to take pictures right? and you're not allowed to film to my devastation. You can imagine. Uh <laughs> You can buy pictures, of course you can, right. um, and you can find some pictures online, um, which which are like a small kind of version of it. But anyway, but you can see, yes, you can see that the Holy of Holies is literally in that style of uh, Neolithic Maltese temples or uh, what we call like Turkian ter Turkian temples. Right. Um. So it's like that. That's kind of straight line. I don't know. It looks like an old, like a Japanese Tori gate. Uh, you know, the straight at the top and straight sides. Right. So you can see that they've, they've, it's and it's polished and smooth. Like it's stunning work. It looks like people worked a very long time in it and you're digging into raw rock. Right. Uh, so yeah, so that's the Holy of Holies. And then there's other sections of it that are similar. So people believe that this is where the temples and the prayers and the rituals took place. So right. this whole thing is almost like a city, which is incredible. A, a city of the dead, let's say. Right. And I read that the, the first, um, like they initially discovered 7,000 skulls, but those initial 7,000 skulls kind of, nobody knows where they are. They never said anything about skulls, to be honest, when I was down there. They give you a like a headphone and, and a thing in, uh, that speaks to you. Um, this says, okay, so this website says it was public knowledge that until 1985, a number of skulls found in prehistoric Maltese temples at... Oh, this isn't in the hypogeum. Or maybe it is. Maltese temples at Taxian? Yeah, Taxian. The, Gigantia. Yep. And House Safini. Yeah. Yes, that. Uh, were exposed in the Archaeological Museum in Valletta. They have since disappeared without a trace, along with the 7,000 from the hypogeum. Interesting. Yeah. Only the photographs taken by the Maltese researcher, Dr. Anton Lissoud and his colleague, Dr. Charles Savona Ventura remain 
to testify the existence of the skulls and prove their abnormality. I can't believe you didn't know any of this. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, so the skulls show a particular abnormalities and or pathologies, sometimes in existent cranial knitting lines, abnormally developed temporal partitions, drilled and swollen occiputs as following recovered traumas, but above all, a strange lengthened skull, bigger and more peculiar than the others, lacking a median knitting. The presence of this finding leads to a number of possible hypotheses and consideration of other finds of similar skulls from Egypt to South America. Mm. This particular deformity, unique in the panorama of medical pathology, referred to such distant times, approximately 3000 BC, could be an exceptional discovery. That's interesting. I've I've heard of those abnormal abnormal skulls in Egypt and uh, South America, but I did not know about this, which is interesting because I've been to every temple, mm -hmm. and I just showed you this book that I'm reading right now. I wonder, and so this book is by the Maltese uh, government, mm -hmm. well, uh, not government, uh, archaeological uh, academics, right? Um on the temple so i'm gonna see i've just started i bought it when i was in malta but i haven't read it right right um it's it's literally like boring archaeology depictions which i love right um but just skimming so the, through it right skull conversations the the article that i'm reading to you from is from uh hera magazine which is a magazine in italy yeah and the article was published in 1999 and it has excerpts of a research article that appeared in National Geographic magazine in 1920. Oh, maybe you can send me that link later because... Uh, I will. I'm going to do this little mini series on the temples there. Mm -hmm. um, like I was telling you that I have all that film. Mm -hmm. um, but it's fascinating that the the sort of book of expertise that I've got here doesn't say anything about these uh skulls so that that will be an interesting uh take i i can't say i haven't read it read it but just skimming through it like there's images there's measurements there's like everything you would want in an archaeological collection right uh, but nothing about skulls which is really really interesting so well it uh, it goes on to say that the skulls were all found where there was a sacred sacred well dedicated to the mother goddess and also where the small statues of the sleeping goddesses were found yes so that's interesting because they did say that there yes. were bodies found right uh covered seven thousand according to this article yeah i don't remember the number but they did say that the, they, they did find skeletons covered in red ochre and that the sleeping woman was found in one of these burial sites mm -hmm. so but I went to the archaeological museum in Malta, which is really cute and great. Um, but none, none of of these uh, bodies or skulls or bones are there. Right. At least not for people to see. Um, so that's really an interesting mystery. I think that we might have just little uncovered here. Um, so this is so fascinating. This so this natural lengthening of the cranium. Yes. Right. That's the anomaly. It says, it is proposed on the basis of these findings 
that the group of skulls found in the hypogeum were representative of a group of peoples who were considered of importance as attested by the location of their discovery and who had a natural genetic tendency for these elongated skulls. Hmm. And they were integrally in, integrally involved in the activities of the temple builders of the time. Other skulls found in the Brokhtorf circle, which is the second level of the hypogeum, yeah. mm -hmm. um, are considered to have had their heads bandaged in order to that's right produce i've heard of that ritual deformity. as well yes yeah. yeah i've heard of that so when babies are born because their skulls are so soft they do right. wrap them with like a bandit it looks like a bandage to elongate their skulls right uh, i think there's still some practices of that in some tribes even today um so i have heard of that so that's just like let's say a normal baby right right I mean, baby whatever uh that that can happen to yeah so the um the thing from that National Geographic magazine in 1920 uh doesn't say who said this but some researcher or the journal article like author said from an examination of the skeletons of the polished stone age it appears that the early inhabitants of Malta were a race of long skulled people of lower medium height skin to the early people of Egypt yes. who spread westward along the north coast north yes. coast of Africa when some went to Malta and Sicily yes and others to Sardinia and Spain yes actually that's funny that you say that because that's my next stop this summer is Sicily and Sardinia but um the Mal the Maltese even today will say that at some point so they built these massive temples they built these beautiful structures and then they all left. Yeah. They just left. And some of them, like people say, a lot of them went to Sicily uh, and then, of course, spread out further. Um, but there's no, like historians are like, there's no, either there, either there was a drought maybe mm -hmm. or something happened is an unexplainable moment when they all just left and abandoned all of these sites so these sites are megalithic like right there is no explanation on how they were built right right uh they're still mysterious which is why i love the, the some of the videos that i've taken of the sites because you're like looking at a rock three times my height you know and about 10 times my width um and then not only do they have all these pieces of rocks which people are like where do they even get these rocks? Because right, it's like Stonehenge. Yeah, Malta doesn't right? just have like rocks lying around like that. <laughs> right. You no. Know? Um, and then how do they get them there? So how do they get them there? How do they place them up top? Because again, they really like this um square, kind of like Stonehenge, this square, squarish, like the gate and the top. Right. That's their style as well. Right. And it's like, and, how did how did they do it? And the um, and speaking of Stonehenge, it isn't there. Isn't the hypogeum also strategically placed so that the sun? Yes, shines. That's right. To the, like the darkest regions of the cave. Oh, I don't know about that. No, uh, the temples themselves, the Tarshan temples, yes. Mm -hmm. uh the hypogeum i don't think there's any light that's supposed to go in there no this is a place of darkness okay yeah 
total dark. I mean, candles. Obviously, there's there's evidence that there was candles and fires there. Right. Obviously. Um, but my favorite part about it was the idea that these people worshipped and ate and celebrated next to their dead. Right. So like they're dead right. or in these embryonic pockets covered yes. in red ochre, which of course has so much symbolism right. uh, of life and rebirth and all these things on the ceiling of some of the rooms, they have the, um, the circular, you know, the circular, you see them everywhere um, in Malta. They have like these circular paintings in red ochre. It's just like a whole ceiling of like, spirals and circles it's really right and this article talks about talks about that and um it says that the the original excavation or i'm sorry the 1990 to 1992 excavation suggested that there may have once been a monumental structure that was also that was directly on top of it on top of it, above it ground. yeah could be to identify it at least if not anything else right yeah yeah, because now when you walk in, you you just take some stairs down into the structure. So there's nothing on top. Right. Yeah. So this says under a heading called archaeoastronomy. Okay. The Holy of Holies within the heart of the hypogeum was designed so as to be illuminated by the annual winter solstice sunrise which would have originally shown through the entrance and directly onto the furthest parts of the underground complex interesting um that's who's the researcher now carla <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not anywhere i mean it's not possible right now because there's like a box on top of it so right no way right. for um, but it's again not something that they bring up um in the information. They do bring it up for the temple, the temples that are standing on top of the ground right. that you can go visit. Um, but for this one, very, very interesting because the way that you go down into this like cave space, whatever right. it is, it would have had to have been really open or open in a certain way like that. I would have loved to have seen whatever was on top of it that sort of allowed that sun ray to come in. Right. Um, this in this modern box, there's no sense at all of light, none. And like I said, you're not even allowed to um, take a picture or video or use any like nothing like you can't right well that's all yeah. for conservation, conservation. And preser yeah, exactly. preservation and yeah um yeah i know and you're not allowed that. to walk into the holy of holies like you see it right but you can't but go in you there can't, you can't walk around no you can't walk around no so essentially the entire structure of the hypogeum yeah is a ritual space yes a hundred percent because it was a space that includes like a burial ground right that's what i was going to say so funerary rites are yes kind of a ritual sorry that it's... was telling me to take my pills which i've already done so you're ahead of the time yeah it's really fascinating because i think it's one of the few sort of sacred spaces at least that come to mind to me right now where the dead are with you literally 
just right. lying there right. uh, or in pockets lying around you, bones collections over bone collections over bone collections, tombs of families and, and kin. Um, and then you're performing the rituals either next to them or just above them. It's, it's really fascinating. And what's really fascinating is the other temples. So there's three sacred sites in Malta that are these Neolithic, three major sites anyways. Right. Uh, they don't have a subterranean aspect to them right uh at this level so again that's there, there's something very mysterious about the hypogeum as well because it seems to be a unique at least as far as they found a unique um structure even on the island itself they don't have any other deep i don't know subterranean temples like this right yeah right so it's fascinating so if i if I were incredibly wealthy and could travel around the world, I've also always wanted to go to the Sedlik Ossuary in the Czech Republic. Okay. Do you know what that is? No, never heard of it. So the Sedlik Ossuary, uh, it's in Czech Czechia. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a big tourist attraction, and okay. it's a it's a Roman Catholic chapel, okay. and it's beneath the cemetery church of all saints okay and it's part of the former sedlik abbey okay and the ossuary is estimated to contain the skeletons of between 40 and seventy thousand people interesting and so it's decorated with the whole them. the whole structure and all of its decorations is made up entirely of human skulls or human bones Wow. It's a big tourist attraction. People come from all over the world. You might want to put that on your list. I think I'm going to add it to my list. That's crazy. So, I mean, obviously, I, I'm so I've been to some, actually, there's a few catacombs. There's one catacombs uh, in Malta, St. Paul's catacombs that I went and walked through um, all by myself, which was quite an experience. Right. I posted a video of that on my IG and people went nuts. They were like, Oh my God, it's just creepy. Now, there's no bones in there at all. They cleared all the bones from right, there. Right. Um, but what you see is like the holes where the bones and the families rested. Right. I don't those bones. But uh, because again, I went through the pan because I went in the pandemic, there was no one there. No one, just me. And they have sensor lights. So if you're inactive for a while, they turn mm -hmm. off and then they'll turn on when you walk. So it's a maze. It's like a labyrinth underneath the ground. So I would walk around and then I would get stuck in some places because they'd be so tight and tiny. Right. So then I'd be like, and then like part of the labyrinth would turn off because no one's over there. Right. And then I was like, shit, like, uh, which way do I go to get out of here? Right. Anyways, lucky for me, I videoed the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I posted it on my IG and people were like, oh my God. Uh, because sometimes when I travel by myself, when I, when I record things, it's like having people with me, you know? Right. Right. right? So like, I'm talking to myself, but like, I feel like I'm talking to people. Right. Right. <laughs> so you well, you going, are, you just can't see them. <laughs> right. You can hear me going, shit, which way am I going to go now? Shit, am I going to fit through here? <laughs> <laughs> so I know that there are cat obviously there are catacombs there and I know there are catacombs in Paris and in Rome and in, in other places but 
that ossuary sounds interesting just because this idea of decorating the place with people's bones is so, I don't know, it seems sacrilegious, you know? Yeah, but it was like, it was like they commissioned somebody wow. to do it. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. Like yeah, I said, if I could go to all places in the world, um, and that's in, you know, re more recent history. It's not, yeah, yes. um, it's not ancient history. Yes. Um, so the very first episode of your podcast that I listened to, and I don't remember what the name of the episode was, but it was about the cave yeah, and womb symbology and all of yeah. those things. Yes. And you said, and I have actually quoted you in my conversations, my spiritual conversations with other people, because you said that whatever cave it was that you were talking about, um, that when it was first discovered, they thought they built it underground because above ground was like inhospitable or something. But then when they did more research, they realized that no, it could have been above ground. It would have been fine. Yes. And they built it underground on purpose because, and this is what you said, they knew that silence and darkness were necessary components to make contact with the divine. Yes. You're like, you're like I said that really yeah, that's pretty good right <laughs> I'm like wow that's good and I, I agree 100 with myself right it's true I mean I you know I meditate a lot and I don't always have darkness because sometimes I meditate with my eyes open and I'm looking at nature because it's such a pure representation of the goddess that I pray to mm -hmm. um but sometimes I do it in the dark like if yeah. I'm in a dark place and I oh and I have to have quiet I got to have quiet. I used to be somebody who I could really only meditate with guided meditations. Right. Now I find guided meditations distracting and I would rather just sit. Interesting. Now it's the opposite. Interesting. Know. Yeah. Because yeah, I never, because yeah. guided meditation taught me how to kind of quiet the mind. Right. Yes. But once I understood how to do that and it became a working part of my spiritual life, I was I, I started to prefer doing it with nothing and yeah. I just listen and I listen for that voice in my head that I clearly identify as her right and I listen and sometimes that's is sometimes that's not a voice sometimes it's me sitting and hearing the rain or the wind in the in the leaves in the trees or like now it's fall and there's leaves covering the ground and like outside in the front of our house it's all orange and gold and yellow and, and yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. so i just listen because i never know when it's going to be a voice in my head right so i gotta right, pay right. attention i gotta be yeah, yeah, yeah. singularly yeah. focused to be able to to hear that voice and yeah so anyway that really resonated with me when you said that and that's when I became hooked on your podcast and then I started stalking you on the internet and here we are, here we right? are. <laughs> um so when you're in the hypogeum yeah how, how many people were you in there with three other Four, people. three other people yeah and did it I mean did it feel I don't know if there's an accurate way to say this did it feel sacred? I mean, I often find that when I'm in what I know is or was a spiritual place, it feels holy. 
You know what I mean? It feels sacred. It's it's interesting that you say that because I wrote a whole thing on it that I'm putting in this uh, travel book that I want to publish on mm -hmm. mostly on Artemis travel, but I'm going to add the hypogean because it's such a such an experience. Um, okay, a few things a few things occurred to me. Number one, we are I was breathing in the dust and particles of still dead people and ancient rituals and remains because no, I mean, nobody's in there sweeping it out or cleaning it out really. Oh, so right. Right. That, that really, that really, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to put it into words, but it was this idea of um, a cycle where you're breathing in the dead as a living being and sort of taking that with you right. and you're, you become one. And so there was, there was a very, I don't know if it's spiritual, but it was definitely like metaphysical. It was definitely more than just who you are. There was definitely right, sort right. of a, and so, yeah, because in a sense it feels, it, it's a weird feeling because in a sense it, it's a burial site and a celebration and a festival and a sacred site. So right. it is a bit overwhelming, like, and the age of it, like the age of it is, is, is weighs on you. Like the, the air inside also is moist and old because they don't air it. Right. right. Uh, they air it very, very, you know, so that they can preserve it. So um, it occurs, I don't know if someone said it or it occurred to me that we are, we are breathing in the old stones and the old dust and, and stuff like that. So I would say, yes, I would say that there is definitely something more than something more there, something more there. You can sense that there is an, an, an age to the place and a sacredness to the place and a quietness and it's mm -hmm. dark. So there are a few lights on the, a few fluorescent lights on the ground, uh, just so you could see like where you're stepping, but, um, but it's still dark, yeah. you know? Um, and so, and there's a few places just to eliminate some things for you, but it's still dark. So, yeah. So I would say that it still has an echo of the old, and I mean, it's 5,000 years old, Yeah, 5,000 years old, you know, yeah. uh, it's overwhelming, like for the brain to really consider that 5,000 years ago, people were celebrating here and burying their dead 5,000 years later, there's people walking around, you know, admiring that work. It's, it's you have these moments of awe i think sometimes when you're in places it's my favorite thing about visiting sacred spaces right um is uh that's right. i have a theory that that <clears throat> that archaeologists and anthropologists are all secretly very spiritual people mm. because they spend their lives having experiences like you're the right described. you're right you're right and not yeah. all places have those vibes Right. But there's some places that have specific energies for sure, where almost right. you can be like, I can see why they picked this place. Right. Because if I can feel it, they probably felt it as, you know, the ancients were much more connected to their intuition and right. and the cosmic world. So if I can feel it, they certainly felt it. And right. then they built on that, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I've even had that experience and I, so I liked, uh, whenever we travel by car, if there's an old cemetery somewhere, we're, we're, we're stopping there to go check it out. And the older right. and more unkempt it is, the right. better. 
Right. So when we go to cemeteries, and I used to take a lot of black and white photography in cemeteries like that, and I was often alone, right? And so with these cemeteries that go back to, I don't know, when they started making cemeteries late 1700s, early 1800s, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, you know, in a way I don't like because cemeteries are a huge waste of green space on the planet, yeah. but Agreed. it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a palpable energy to that. And in cemeteries like that, particularly because disease was so rampant, there are often several grave markers in a group of, of very young children. Mm-hmm. And the the energy of the grief that was expelled in those places. I mean, you can feel that, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's also, you know, cemeteries are also uh, reflective of people who believe that when they die, they go to heaven and that there's nothing else. So of course they're going to grieve, right? Right. (laughs) You know, and then you've got people like me who I'm like, I can't fucking wait to see what happens next because there's thousands of possibilities. That's right. Um, but yeah, cemeteries, I, I think in general, they, obviously they hold a lot of grief and that is a very palpable yeah. energy Yeah, and the, and the energy of, you know, what people would call ghosts, which is that, you know, that tangible feeling of unresolvedness, right? Yeah. Conflicts I've, unresolved, lives yeah. unlived, all of that. I mean, I've never had ghosts. I've never had, like, I sometimes wonder if I'm just not open to it. Or I'm just one of those people um, where I I don't feel the presence of like, yeah, ghosts or spirits. Right. I love being in cemeteries. I love it. But it's but I've never felt, I think it's probably easier to feel the grief of a place like you explained rather right. than ghosts. For me, like people, some people are very sensitive to spirits and they could really, you know. I've been trying to have supernatural experiences my yeah. whole life and hasn't yeah it's not happening <laughs> it's, not, it's not happening it's not yeah. so it's possible we're just programmed in a way that's like that is not your role <laughs> you're not there to see that <laughs> so there there we go my screen went blind because i moved the mouse I mean, cemeteries and the hypogeum, I think, are connected still, obviously. Yes, uh, yes. As burial sites. But uh, it's interesting because different ancient cultures, just like today, different cultures have different treatments of their dead. Um, I think the red ochre part is quite interesting and unique. Putting like painting or the the bones in red ochre. That's kind of cool. Because that implies that you, you leave your dead down there for a while obviously for the body to decompose and then you come back at some point and pour the red ochre or paint them in red ochre so right right it implies like a a connection to the organic body that is also interesting and unique right you know and they and and you've talked about this in your podcast before that you know we we often don't um give ancient cultures enough credit right like we think it was all primitive and a daily fight for survival but things like cave paintings you know painting is is a leisure activity that's right so they didn't spend all of the time running from lions or whatever that's right that's Um, right and it would take time to build tools from stone and bone and 
you know, later iron and lots of time. And the structures, I mean, the structures, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of work, design, prep, build, like that's something that you do usually when you are eating well and drinking well, you know what I'm saying? Like that, right, right. you have those necessities covered in order to build these megalithic sites, whether they're in the ground or above ground, you know, it's, it's a lot of time and dedication, right? So, so they certainly had, and, and there are these uh, lines in the ground. I can't remember what they're called in Malta that are also very unique. They're like, they look like railroad lines. I don't know. If, yeah, you have your computer in front of you. There's a yeah. name. Um, I think it's something with a C. Carthic lines or I don't know. Um, I'm looking. Look, <laughs> are you looking them up? Well, they look like, I'm looking they at look like railroad tracks in the stone. In like rock. Yes. Are they cart, cart lines or cart? I don't know. I feel like there's a C in there for these lines. Yeah, this is talking about what you were already talking about, the red okra like spiral and floral patterns on the walls and the ceiling. Right. And, yeah, uh, so they have these, these, they have them in a few places and it looks like something very heavy sunk into the rock, like a very heavy wagon, let's say, sunk into the rock. And so they look like wheel lines or like railroad Okay, tracks. like tracks, yeah. But they're in the rock, which means that they must have been sculpted in the rock. But right. there's mystery around them. They're not sculpted in the rock. So then people are like, so what's so heavy to leave these lines? And it looks like they drag something and they're kind of near the, near the sea, high up on the mountain, but near the sea. Uh, or the hill, because they don't have mountains in, in Malta. But And it looks like they were dragging something. And then they end. The lines end. So they have no beginning sense. Like, there's no origin point and no end. So they're like, so there's no explanation. So people are like, yeah, it looks like they dragged something. We were wheeling something across. Right. Okay, but either something had to be so heavy that it dug into the rock we don't have stuff like that even today. What is that? Right. Or they dug them in there in order to wheel something. Why would they why why would they dig them in the rock? You could just wheel something. So yeah. it's a weird mystery that is And where on, where is that? They are across Malta. I'm gonna look them up right now too. They're across Malta. I'm gonna see what they're called. Um I'm going to put cart lines, cart lines in Malta. Let's see. Where uh, is, where is this article yes, also yes. mentions so Zag called... Zagra Circle on Gozo Island? Yeah, Gozo Island is really cool. Uh, I have a, the Ziggurat Circle. Okay, so these are called cart ruts in Malta. They're mysterious. Oh, cart ruts. Cart okay, that makes sense. Mysterious, mysterious cart trucks, tracks, or cart ruts of Malta. Yeah. So they say that there's over there. You can find them in over 150 different locations. Yeah. So they have no idea what they are, what they're for. 
Maybe it's how they move those megalithic rock structures from one place to another. That's what people say, but... But since there's no seeming origin point or end, it's it's weird. weird. It's like, because if you have something, like if you have a cart itself or wheels, why do you need to dig this in the ground? You don't need to do that. It's weird, right? So they look like grooves, like I said, like almost like two grooves in the rock itself um so they're like yeah maybe maybe they did use them who knows yeah no historical cart that we know of was high enough for this to be useful some pair of the tracks are uneven some are so So deep deep that they they make transportation impossible wow yeah uh, they don't follow paths. They don't connect to settlements. They don't lead to or from anywhere else. There is no convincing hypothesis um, why there isn't any wear and tear caused by the animals pulling the carts. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Right. Yeah. Some of them are at a 45 degree angle, which, of course, you can't transport anything at a 45 degree angle. Right. So they might not be, so they might not be for carts at all. Yeah. But yeah so they're like so fast they're mind-blowing because you're yeah. standing there it's like and if you look at the images you're standing there you can see them it seems simple and then you start thinking about well what purpose would they have and what would go through them and blah 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 and then your mind just blows because you're like this makes no sense what are these things what could they have been used for right it's like the simplest thing but it's 5,000 years ago. What what were they doing? Anyways, it's it's fascinating. I don't know. I don't know. And so I could see why people begin to talk about like supernatural things or alien things or UFO things or things like that because the level of lack of explanation right. is so wide um, that and lack of evidence mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, you have to ask yourself what, 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 maybe this, maybe these things serve a purpose that is even beyond the human experience. Right. Right. I think that's, that's highly likely. I think that so much of our basis of spirituality as a whole is informed by these metaphysical events that I think people before us did have, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, with each generation of us, we became further and further detached from the metaphysical yes. world, just as we become more and more and more detached from the land itself. Right. 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 Um, I mean, we've kind of been on this collision course since the dawn of agriculture. Right. right? And especially agriculture that then brought in trade and wealth and greed and all those other things. Yep. Um. Like, I keep hoping that when I die, I get to come back as, you know, a hunter-gatherer. <laughs> when <laughs> In a time when we were all hunter-gatherers. Right? Exactly. But exactly. of course, I want to travel with the Sami and the reindeer, right? right? right. I want to follow the ancient trackways and lay That sounds and awesome. All of that. That's, yeah. that's what I want my 
next life to be. But then I imagine that when I die, the goddess is going to appear before me and just be like, yeah, this isn't going to be anything like what you thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be hard and there are going to be trials. And... <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I would love to come back um, in the time of the Palace of Kenosis and uh, and just be part of the family living there. Yeah. The Minoans and Kenosis are very, um, I don't know, fascinating to me. I more and more be, fascinating. I just want to be in a goddess cult since there aren't any now. Yeah. Actually, that that's not true. There are goddess cults in other parts of the world yeah. that still exist today. Um, I did, like you were talking about earlier, like priestess, priestess of what? I So there's a an organization called the covenant of Hecate. Um, and I talked about this in my podcast about the Shekinah uh, and Sophia and the Asherah, because she's one of the authors of this book that I bought like 15 years ago about the Shekinah. Mm -hmm. um, so she is the one that started this covenant of Hecate that's based in New York. Like they have a temple building and everything. Nice. And, I had to take very specific steps to become um, like a dedicant of Hecate. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but <laughs> um, but I think because she's been doing what she's been doing for so long and obviously has done a lot of her own academic research, her rituals are based in ancient history, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so since we are so far divorced from the metaphysic metaphysics of spirituality mm -hmm. that's how we wind up in these situations with a lot of people doing things that they don't understand they don't yeah. really get that they're working with forces that are yes. beyond their control yes you know, yes. that they're asking for things unknowingly that will be delivered to them, whether they want it or not. Yes. You know? Yes. So, um, so do you want to talk about the Chavot cave or do you have other things on your agenda today? To, to, no, I think probably <laughs> no. The how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> you mean to um, talk about, yeah. Yeah, no, I think we've covered the hypogeum in depth and its mystery. Yes, and I've already forgotten. So the Chavot cave is actually part of a much larger network of caves. Is that right? This is my understanding. I've never been there, but it's on my list of places to visit. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, and it's one of the oldest or has uh, one of the oldest, what do you call it? paintings i guess basically um in the new right. they're the oldest well-preserved cave paintings in the world correct this is what is my understanding yes yes so now that cave and i think I don't, did you talk about the chavo cave in the episode of on your podcast where you talked about i caves? did i did yes yes because isn't it there that um they figured out or what they believe is that different generations of family worked on the same pieces of art. That's right. That's right. That's where that is. Yes. 
And that's where they have the buffalo slash uh, pubic triangle goddess combination. Right. Um, and the most famous part, like people know the Chevro Cave from the panel of horses, right? That's right. Is that right? That's right. Um, that's right. And yeah, that has that actually that's the most famous part of it. Right. But really that whole structure has not just horses, but rhinoceros and large felines and horses and bison right. and reindeer. Yep. My personal yep. favorite, as you know. I think there's a leopard in there too, or a, mm -hmm. some type of a cat. Um, yeah, a lioness or a leopard in there. Yeah. Or a jaguar. Well, and I was reading that some of them have multiple legs, like they were like they were in motion. Mm. They were mm -hmm. trying to portray that in the art that they yep. were that they were in movement. Yeah. And if you stood back, it looked like a large herd of animals crossing yep. whatever. Yep. So isn't part of the visual the way the um the way the light is like the, the, way light. the light is in the cave so uh, that some of it would appear as shadows on opposite walls do i have that right i'm trying to remember right that i'm not that. sure i'm not sure about that actually uh, i guess it, once again depends on depends on if they have it set so that the light hits the cave in a certain way right I'm looking at a, an article from a website called Smart History, the Center for Public Art History. Okay. Um, visual elements. So do we think, or do you think, or is there research about that cave being kind of a ritual space because didn't don't they think that they didn't actually live there no no so i i would not compare that cave cave for example to the hypogeum in the same way right so there doesn't seem to be an altar space well actually now that i say that no that's not true they do believe that there was some type of like sacred space but but okay so there's a few things that are problematic here because ancient peoples or neolithic people spend so much time in caves just as right as a place to both pray paint eat space of protection from right. you know the weather animals so, so it's not like the hypogeum in the sense that the hypogeum seems to be built specifically as a temple slash burial site slash sacred right. space this is a natural cave, so it's naturally occurring. And um, they did like live here and and eat here and and whatever, and you know spent their time making art. So, um, so I guess that's the difference. Uh, so I wouldn't say it was like a temple site the way that we talked about the hypogeum, but right. there may have been, you know, moments of prayer or moments right because so this article from this smart history website um who was written by uh, somebody else with a phd yeah so 
Not that that even necessarily means it's solid, not always. right? Not always, <laughs> but, but it's it good to have that reference. Indicates that it's a trustworthy, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so this person wrote that these spectacular cave paintings, among the earliest that survive from throughout the world, are already visually compelling and dense with possible meanings. The cave paintings remind us that art has been and continues to be involved in a spectrum of beliefs and practices, including formal religion, but also informal beliefs in the supernatural and even attempts to work magic. So, yeah, I mean, there have been famous painters throughout history who talk about incorporating their spirituality into the art. Correct. But I would say based on what's in the Chavot cave, it seems more like they were just kind of documenting what they were seeing. Yes. Right. I mean, the overlapping of the, the Buffalo and the pubic triangle. Uh, some scholars believe that it was first a goddess's body and mm -hmm. then it sort of painted over in the shape of a Buffalo as well. So there may have been some overlapping painting. Mm. Um, so I do think that they're painting what they're seeing, but also I think there's a, there's an element, there's a bit of an element of mysticism to it. Right. Um, right. You know, like less documentative, more interpretation, let's say. Right. It right, sort of right. has an element of the mystic in there. Yeah. Yeah. We're not sure. That's the thing. It's hard to interpret people's art sometimes because we don't know what purpose it serves. Is it a recording or is it an honoring, you know? Right, right. So just as I was saying further down in the article, she says, what, what does this cave have to do with religion? In assessing any work of art, we should always ask, what was this made for? Right. The people right. who created such works did not live in the caves they decorated. They were humid, stifling places, absolutely dark and without ventilation for fire. The okay, caves okay. then must have served a function other than shelter. They cannot be seen as prehistoric art galleries as the works are highly inaccessible and because of the darkness, almost impossible to see. Well, If they were not there to be seen, what were they for? Well, I disagree with that because I think understanding that a per the person who's painting is clearly using a light source fire right so it would be understandable that others could come in using the same light source to look at the paintings right but i do agree in a sense that there is perhaps like i said something mystical about or maybe you know maybe it's just as simple as this is where it would have been best preserved i mean if you think right. about it, logic dictates that you wouldn't put it outside in the environment. Right. Uh, because, it, you know, at this point, art was so, so much work and rare. Right. So you right. wouldn't put it somewhere where you knew it would be erased. Right. So perhaps they put it in caves additionally because it would be best preserved in there right. for generations to come. And obviously generations took part in painting. So. Right. Um, well, so this this researcher... Let me see what mm -hmm. her name is. Doctor. Oh, Doctor Asa Asa. Asa Simon Mitman. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, who I think is a his PhD is in religion. I think. Okay. Um. 
Okay. Uh, so, so this researcher proposes that it is possibly since so many early um, religions, especially shamanic practices, were rooted in this kind of principle of animism, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so this author suggests that they could have been used uh, for shamanic practices mm. using animistic worship, animal worship, totemic practices, uh, work with their ancestors, right? Yeah. Which which the, the theory of, you know, multiple generations yeah, working yeah, on the same is. pieces of art that, I mean, that, that tracks, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he also points out that the images are mostly of animals that were not used for food. So they probably weren't tied to hunting magic, but might instead be connected with fertility or power. The great abundance of animals here and in other Paleolithic caves may suggest or be intended to magically invoke a fertile world that provides for the tribe so that they could reproduce. Yeah. It's an I interesting mean, I, theory. I think that's an interesting theory. Right. It's, it's obviously clearly... Hmm, I can't forget, I can't remember the word, but it's sort of a made up theory, but no one could know for sure. Right. I think, I mean, certainly, yes, yeah, certainly I think he's correct in saying, or or they're correct in saying uh, no, these are not animals used for food, whether or not, the reason I think people talk about fertility is because the bull, the buffalo bull and the pubic triangle are old symbolic representations of masculine and feminine. So I right. think that might be correct. Um, the horses and some of the other paintings, I'm not sure. Right. Perhaps if this was a horse tribe, then perhaps, yes, horse fertility would be important. In right, right. So, yeah, so I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, like, conjecture happening. Right, right. right? Well, uh, and... But it is, it's the way academics work. I mean, how do we know? I mean, there's no there's way... No, right, know. right. These are all theories that exactly. may or may not be able to be proven someday by exactly. archaeological and anthropological evidence. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of those early shamanic traditions and, and even other traditions throughout the world, um, not only were they more tied to the land, but because it was before a time of things that we could explain in the natural world, everything to them held kind of like a supernatural belief. It's possible. It depends on how it- well, well, just like, so, okay. So they find all these figurines all over the world. Yeah. Um, and at first we thought they were all goddess statuary, but- yeah later discovered that you know what it might not be that it might be because they were just in such awe of a woman's body to reproduce right that they created all these things of figures of women not yes. necessarily a goddess i yes. mean sure some of them undoubtedly were yes but that you can't make that wholesale assumption about every female figure that's ever been depicted it's it's right? very interesting because we have to assume like their intelligence so did right. they have supernatural knowledge or extraterrestrial knowledge? Right. In that case, none of this would have been a surprise to them. Or right. were they part of a more 
sort of primitive mentality. And in that case, or have we lost the mystery? Have we lost the sense of mystery because we think science explains like, so yeah, so I guess it depends on the approach that we want to take. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and now, I mean, in, in today's landscape, there's a lot of discussion about the merging of, of science and spirituality, right? Mm -hmm. Because now we can do studies, like, especially in psychology and, but the sciences behind that, like, they like the first thing I ever read about that was the study that they did with MRI imaging of the brain. Mm. And they showed that the areas that the areas of the brain that light up when right. you drink or take drugs, it, right. It's in that pleasure center. They're the same right. areas that line up that light up when people pray. Right. So, but again, I think, as you suggested often, a lot of these things were like they were intrinsic knowledge. Right. They didn't have right. to read a journal article about so-and-so. They just right. knew. Right. And like we were talking about earlier, like that feeling, that energetic feeling that you get in a sacred space. One of the things that I read when I, you know, when I, because I, I kind of arrived where I'm at through the path of of witchcraft and right those kinds of traditions right um and one of the things that i first that with that when i read it it really resonated with me and i don't remember what book it was in but the author said i think it was probably in one of my um raven gramasi books probably what we knew in the night and he said remember when you when you look at the moon mm -hmm. in awe and reverence you can increase that awe and reverence by remembering that the moon that you were looking upon is the same moon that witches have been looking at for millennia. Right. And I've always right. remembered that. And now I think about that when I look at the moon or the sun right. or the trees or the stars same. or whatever. That's so funny. Same. I've been thinking about it more and more and more lately. Like uh, every time I see a sunrise or a sunset and I think this sun has been rising for millennia and millennia and tremillennias of time right every day you know yeah, yeah our brains really cannot fathom that, that that amount of time but every day every day every day it does the same cycle like right it, yeah it makes you feel quite small i think and yes you of, like you know and i Right. And we see that play out on the like on the land stage across the world. Right. Man trying to control right. nature and sometimes with a modicum of success, but oftentimes failing. Yes. I remember when I read um, Janet, whatever her name is, I just put up a quote by her the other day when I read. Um, or no, I'm sorry, it wasn't that book. When I read The Orchid Thief mm. by Susan Orlean. When she talks about Florida, she talks about how Florida is always the continual battle of man versus nature, right? <laughs> because people are constantly finding crocodiles in their swimming pools and right. you know, small dogs being carried away but what, by whatever swamp creature, right? <laughs> I mean, right. so yeah, so it's this constant battle of the, the natural yeah. ecology of the place and the marshlands right. and all that. 
yeah. um, with people trying to to commodify that and super interesting. Yeah, super interesting. yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's a uh, it's fascinating. It's all fascinating, and uh, yeah, and again, it's just a matter of like how, we 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 are now in a stage where we kind of have to reconsider the status of Neolithic intelligence you know right right or or pre-neolithic and post-neolithic i think it's a so the old approach of like well this this was uh their primitive mind like when you walk into the hypogeum you're like this is not a primitive mind this is a right. very or the or the chevaux cave i mean right. that right. art is very uses i don't know i'm not an artist but uses techniques right that right. artists still use right today like that right. you know many hooves or legs to to simulate motion right right how did they know that right how did they know that right right were they just painting and be like so does it look like they're running <laughs> right you know what i mean yeah. like we we i mean we really just there's so much that we don't know but like you said i i don't think that we've lost the mystery i just think we have to look a little bit harder for it i had a uh the car that i had before i drove this one had a bumper sticker on it that said it and it had a galaxy image and it said inspired by the mystery yeah so because that is what inspires me often right right, right. i don't know i think anybody practicing Anything that's even remotely related to an ancient religion should know about the ancient religion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or the ancient practice or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, whenever I, so for example, so I have started researching um, the rituals that were used by some of these ancient goddess cults because when I was, a practicing witch, it was relatively easy for me to do research and find information about how that particular goddess was worshipped. Mm -hmm. But now I'm looking for, was there, I mean, obviously we know about these ancient goddess cults, but were there people that believe, as I believe, right? Because I'm essentially a monotheist goddess worshiper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And did that exist? Yes. I, I think I posted not that long ago um, in my little thing about queens that at one time Isis was the only goddess that was worshipped in all of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that exists, but that's kind of my current personal research project is because, Carla, I would really like to claim a religion. I would love to call myself something. Yeah. You know? Because because mono, monotheistic goddess worshiper is kind of long and has a lot of syllables, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I think in a in in my just my in my interpretation of that, I think that you can so just like for me, for example, with Artemis, you can have a primary goddess, right, and mine is all in other ways, right, right. Um, but, but I think yeah. the nature of the goddess is that she is many things, just like the nature of women. You know that you're right. multi-layered. That's my and whole the, diamond god theory. Right, 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 right. So I don't know that monotheism works because it's exclusionary in a way. It goes, you know, I only worship this goddess and no other. And that's can't. That's as a goddess worshiper, you have moods when you're like, yeah, tonight it feels like this kind of a mood, or a goddess just comes into your life based on mm-hmm, the, right, you know, right. 
but I think, yeah, I think you could have a primary. I don't know if that's the right word. Maybe there's a better word. Um, that's I what I say. I say that queen or monarch or I say that Ellen of the Ways is my patron deity. Right. 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 I mean, she's she's representative of the whole. Yeah. Right. But yeah, she yeah. is the goddess with whom I've created the most, the strongest and most meaningful relationship with. Right. 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 But I still get that she's part of a much greater whole. Right. And I guess I see monotheism as all that really means, at least in my worldview, is that there's a singular source. And that is right. what I believe. Right. That is what I believe. Right. Um, that's why I like when I read about, you know, what are considered primordial goddesses. Right. 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 The ones that have always been here, not just appeared as a result of popular religious culture. Yes. You know? Yes. I think we all have that, the source, the sort, the knowledge that there is one source, one energy, one entity. Right. Um, and the oneness of it all. And I think, yeah, out of that oneness, we have all of these maybe personalized sort of, I mean, I suppose gods could be almost like people, although that is a very organic brain interpretation, but, right, you know, in the sense that um, there could be lots of different incarnations or different right. aspects right. of the divine. I suppose in some way, the source can be whatever it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we are one with the source is also interesting because it means we are then part of the divine. Right. We are divine. People say right. that. And I believe that too, right? Yeah. Like the goddess is something outside of me, but she also lives within me. Right. And that's right. how I learned to trust my intuition because I trust that part of me that right. is of her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and what I see lacking is is that kind of awe inspiring reverence, right? I see yeah, people yeah. turn to whatever religion, and when they pray to that god, um, it's really just about fulfilling their wishes. Yeah, and I'm over here going, you know what, goddess is not my errand boy, right? You know what I mean? She she wants i think and deserves reverence and dedication and religion right or, or yes. you know she wants to be worshipped she's not gonna get mad at me if i don't yes but yes i i really like that um that thomas merton poem that essentially starts with i have no idea what i'm doing but i think that the desire to please you pleases you right right <laughs> right yeah i agree 100 percent. yeah yeah i think that's a great start for yeah, sure yeah. Um, yeah yeah i said yeah. The, the divine is not my errand boy yeah for sure or santa mm -hmm. claus right I right just pray to my for my wishes to be granted right, right. right i'm part of the equation that's part of what having a relationship with her means means i don't just sit on my laurels and expect her to do everything like i have mm -hmm. to show up and do my part like yes. go to therapy work a program i you know what i mean it's that's right that's yeah, right. yeah. So. that's right that's right i agree yeah i think that fits well yeah this was good i told you we'd yes. get a whole episode out of the hypogeum and 
Yeah. You know, I'm giving you trying to be your career manager in the meantime. <laughs> I'm going to sit with that for a bit. And, and fact check my it. own spiritual life. <laughs> right. Hey, thanks for listening. New episodes drop every Saturday, so keep tuning in. You can also find The Girlfriend God on social media, both on TikTok and Instagram, hashtag The Girlfriend God, hashtag The Girlfriend God podcast. Again, thanks for listening, liking, sharing, and following.